Ceramics are everywhere in today's world, but who are the scientists and engineers who work with such materials? Now is your chance to meet them here on Ceramic Tech Chat. I'm Elaine DeGeer, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. A lot of our guests so far have shared experiences spanning continents from moving to new countries for a job or collaborating with their plants overseas. But one thing they all emphasized was that a key to successful collaboration is local specialization. In the United States, a lot of manufacturers depend heavily on imported intermediate products, which can cause difficulties when tariff wars complicate the trading of goods. And that is why companies who produce parts here in the U.S. are so useful to local economies. Unfortunately, those kinds of companies are not as common as they used to be. Washington Mills is, I would say, it's really a kind of a dying breed, I suppose you could say. It's, it's a, one of the only companies in the U.S. that does what it does. In terms of boron carbide and silicon carbide, they're the only ones in North America that make those products. That is Matt Creedon, R&D manager at Washington Mills, a manufacturer of abrasive grains and industrial fused minerals based in Niagara Falls, New York. In addition to being the only manufacturers of certain boron carbide and silicon carbide parts in North America, they are also the only ones in the region to use large electric arc furnaces to create their fused materials. So, what's it like being a local manufacturer in an increasingly global economy? Matt did not always plan to be a ceramic engineer. In fact, he had never heard of the career at all until his uncle introduced him to the ceramic engineering program at Alfred University when he was looking to apply to college. I wasn't the, the kid that, that said, man, I really love ceramics. I'm going to go do that. Uh, I didn't even know what ceramic engineering was as a, when I was looking for schools. But fortunately, I had a, an, an uncle that lived near Alfred and introduced me to it the summer before, before my senior year. And I thought, well, I, I think this looks pretty interesting. I'm going to give it a try. And if, if it turns out I don't like it, at least I've got the first two years of engineering under my belt and I can take that wherever mm -hmm. I want to go. But I, it, it turned out I really enjoyed ceramic engineering. It was uh, kind of a hands-on, uh, practical. There was, it was different, which was something that, that attracted me. I wanted to do something kind of unusual and unique. And it had all of those aspects. Mm -hmm. And when you went into Alfred, entered the program, and started to realize, you know, what it could do, had you anticipated a PhD, or did that evolve over time? I, I didn't anticipate a PhD. In fact, when, when I got done with my bachelor's, I was so glad to be done with school <laughs> and get out and get working that mm -hmm. uh, um, that was really not on the radar at all. Mm -hmm. However, after a few years in, in industry, I actually found that, that I, I wanted, or I ran up against a lot of questions that I felt like I didn't have the depth of knowledge to attack. So the interest in the PhD started probably after about seven years of being a, a, 
an engineer or kind of a development engineer. And then I ended up getting an opportunity to go back to school when I was laid off <laughs> my, from my job. So uh, that opportunity popped up, and I, and I went, mm-hmm. went ahead and tried it. And I'm glad I did. Okay. So how has, how has uh, your having that extra knowledge made a difference in what you've been able to do in terms of product development? Yeah, so I think that the, the PhD gives you that, or that, that level of, of knowledge gives you that ability to start looking at a problem from, from a much more basic level, you know, from the atomic level, where I think as, a, as an engineer that, that's trying to just get something built and get something out the door, uh, you don't necessarily have the opportunity or the time to do that. And so that's what the the PhD has given me mm-hmm. is that understanding at that at, at an atomic level at, uh, of of how things are working, and and allows me to attack problems a little bit differently that way. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now at Washington Mills? Now I'm I'm into the area of fused minerals where we make. Uh, we fuse aluminum oxide and other other materials, and we make synthetic alumina, synthetic materials like that for for abrasive applications like grinding wheels, sandpaper, and sandblasting media. That's another one that, that that's very very much in our our portfolio. But it also we're also making materials like silicon carbide and boron carbide that that can go into many other applications besides abrasives. So. Uh, a, a big area for us is uh, refractory materials. So, so we're the so we would be a raw material supplier to a lot of refractories companies. Yeah. So. so, how does research and product development fit into those kind of very traditional ceramic kind of applications? Our our research areas are into mainly finding new compositions that we can fuse and that people are looking for. Some of them are materials that are made in the more traditional way. Can we, you know, is there some advantage of, of using a fusion process to make, to make that material? Refractories companies are always looking for the next greatest refractory material, even though that's another very mature area. There's, there's always room for improvements and cost reductions and all that. So, mm-hmm. so essentially just new materials and... Yeah, new materials. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Can you tell us just real briefly what the difference is between a fused mineral and a non-fused mineral? <laughs> <laughs> a fused mi- mineral is made through made in an arc furnace. You take a, a powder or a composition, a mixture of powders, and you use an electric arc furnace to melt melt them. And uh, once melted, you, and Solidified, you you crush them up and, and make whatever size fraction you want to make. It, it's especially handy when you when the raw materials that you would be using, let's, let's say aluminum oxide, through the cal, the calcined aluminum oxide is typically of a fine powder. So if you wanted a you know one millimeter piece of aluminum for abrasive, uh, an abrasive, mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to. You, you melt it, you crush it down. Now you can do that, but with the with the original starting material, you can't get there. 
the other kind of ceramic I'll, I'll describe, which is, I guess, non-fused, typically ceramics or, or compositions are made by mixing oxides or oxides and carbonates and whatever the raw materials you need. You mix them together, you calcine them and to react them, and then, and then you have your, your material, and that can get crushed and, and produced and made into whatever you need. So, so the fusion process is, it has some advantages in that it's, everything's very well mixed, and because you're, mm -hmm. you've got it in liquid form, if you have multiple things in there, you can, multiple components, you can uh, count on them being very, very well mixed. And if you need something that has large crystals, fusion also offers that, because as it cools, as these giant ingots cool, you end up with uh, larger crystals in, in your final product. How big is an ingot when that would be made this way? Well, they, they vary depending on the size of the furnace you're, you're using. Uh, one of our furnaces, one of the furnaces in Niagara Falls, makes ingots that are about 8,000 pounds, we'll say, at a time. Uh, but there's another furnace, the, the real large one that I mentioned earlier, that one can can make, um, let's see, 18 divided by three. So we're gonna say um, six tons per, per ingot. So wow. 12,000 pound ingots yeah. typically. That's, and those are, those are kind of the two extremes. The, the large ingots are poured from the big furnace, but the big furnace itself pours, you know, eight, almost 20 tons at a time, so. So when a customer comes to you, how does a company like yours interact with a client or a customer to develop a product? So if somebody were to enter a career similar to yours, how would they expect to be able to work with other people and build the business that way? Mm -hmm. It's pretty, it's actually at, at Washington Mills, it's a mm -hmm. pretty informal process uh, we have on our website there's a section for for the development for our uh, t basically toll research and development mm -hmm. or you can come to us they come to us they can say I'd really like to try to make this composition and and we will look at it and say well look we can give that a try and, and maybe make it so we can make small amounts and see how that works and if that is if that's meets their expectations and we can continue to scale that up but it's usually pretty pretty informal sometimes they'll just call me mm -hmm. sometimes they'll just send a request through the website or it can be or or a lot of times uh, I will reach out to them and mm -hmm. say hey I think I might be able to make something that that you could use mm -hmm. how'd you like how would you like to, us to try that for you mm -hmm. so, so there's a lot of different ways but it's so it's it's not, at least at, at Washington Mills, it's not super structured. But it's, you know, we try to make it work mm -hmm. however it needs to. And how many people are in your department and helping you out there? <laughs> right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's, uh, there's two. Okay. <laughs> the... However, the, there was normally four. Okay. So, but we have basically two engineers and two technicians in our group. Okay. So it's a nice, small little group, and we mm -hmm. can, and again, very flexible. 
somebody, if I think of something I want to do or try, I just go, go try it. Go try basically. it. Basically, yeah. yeah. It's kind of nice. Uh, we get to pursue our curiosities. Uh-huh. And that's encouraged. As Matt mentioned, Washington Mills is in some ways a dying breed in the United States, and that's because most traditional types of manufacturers are based in other places now, particularly China. So we, even though it's it's kind of an old traditional process and, and company, they do a kind of a unique thing now. All, most of the businesses that used to do that are gone and, mm-hmm. you know, replaced by Chinese companies, basically, mm-hmm. you know, all that went to all that business went to China. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of a, um, a holdout, and the uniqueness, and, and also, so, so how does that happen, right? How do you keep a business like that that going in that environment? And they've kept it going by being being good, being uh, the higher quality product. It's a little more expensive, but it's higher quality, and it's right here. It's mm-hmm. right in the U.S. So at those times when the Chinese companies or the foreign companies can't deliver or their boat sinks on the way over or whatever happens, we're here, mm-hmm. right here to deliver in, in a really timely manner. So, so that has, that's their niche that they're filling. And as, far, and as I said, as far as the silicon carbide and boron carbide, that, those businesses, I think, are going to be even more important to have here as we go forward. You know, and um, because of the strategic place those materials have in in our country, you know, we're gonna eventually. I think we're gonna have to have the capability more and more here. So that's mm-hmm. that's what they bring. I think. Mm-hmm. What are would you say are the biggest headwinds that you're facing in your industry? What kind of challenges are out there that your industry needs to address? And. Mm. I think it's it's we we still face a lot of it's cost. Okay. <laughs> really, the you know we're competing against very cheap foreign-made materials, mm-hmm. and that's our that's the problem. Can we can we continue to compete? I don't I don't know. It, it all depends. There's a lot of a lot of things going on right now out there that might help us mm-hmm. with that. I hope they do, but, but I think the biggest thing for for all of those real high value or high volume materials that we make, yeah. it's it's cost. So yeah, it's it's just a uh, it's tough because we're yeah. we're an American company that that uh, has the cost associated with with uh, making things here. Mm-hmm. So interesting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely a challenge. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and a hard one to control. You know, there's mm-hmm. only so much you can do to influence that or, or manage right. it, really. So, right. Yeah. So looking ahead for in the next five five years or so, what excites you about the future of your industry, but also maybe our field in general? Yeah, I think we're... I think that the uh, value of ceramic engineering is has I'd say in the past 10 years kind of it declined a little bit and I think that that's reflected in the number of students that and the number of programs out there mm-hmm. 
but I, I think that, that that's changing. I think we're headed back to, um, to a place where the importance of, of a ceramic engineer in particular is going to be, is being more appreciated. I think the, the value that we bring in, in, in our knowledge of, of a very, of a pretty unique process mm-hmm. of sintering and calcining and all those things that, that we, that we just take for granted as, you know, part of our, um, part of our day or part of our, whatever we do. Most people don't, most engineers, you know, chem, chemical engineers, mechanical mm-hmm. engineers, electrical engineers, they have no idea. And so you, I think you can take a ceramic engineer and teach them some of those other things, but I think it's a lot more difficult to teach other engineers what we do. So I think that the appreciation for that value is, is returning. And that, I think it shows in, in some of the programs that are coming up, like the, the technician program in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that there's some other schools that are considering bringing back mm-hmm. ceramic engineering programs. So, so that, that's what excites me. And I hope that in some way I can help with that mm-hmm. if I can maybe get involved in that kind of thing. We'll be in touch about that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. So what would you... If you were able to talk to uh, an 18-year-old thinking about careers right now, mm-hmm. what would you say to that young person about how would you talk them into that or con- suggest to them a career in ceramic engineering? Well, I would say, uh, I, would, I would tell them that if you want to do something unique, if you want to do something that's practical and interesting that can uh, that can allow you to uh, I know for me it's allowed me to travel uh, to places I never would have gone uh, and you know that that ceramic engineering is can give that to you it can also teach you a lot about um, I think I, one of the things I've always found interesting was how is the mineralogy part of, of ceramics, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the connection to, you know, the, the earth and, and all the minerals that, that are out there. You know, so it gives you a connection to that and also a connection to, I mean, ceramics have been made forever, right? Yeah. And um, so I would, tell, I, would, I would tell them that and that it's, it can be fun, you know, and, and give mm-hmm. you a lot of opportunities. So that's what I would say. Okay. Yeah. He'd be famous and rich and all that. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Generally not. Generally not. Right. Yeah. Just like any workplace, you can have funny and completely unexpected situations occur at a ceramic engineering job as well. And that's what happened to Matt not too long ago when he got an unexpected visitor to their pilot plant. Well, we, we, use, we use a lot of rags in our, in our pilot plant to clean up and all that. And uh, the, the box of rags is, is on the floor, typically, and just has a hole in it where we reach in and grab, grab them. One day, I reached in to grab a rag, and uh, a raccoon had gotten into the, the lab. <laughs> <laughs> and he, was a, he liked a nice, warm box of rags. So yeah. I reached in there. 
expecting to gra grab a rag, and instead I felt a furry little something in there. <laughs> and um, and it, it scared the heck out of me. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. He was probably pretty frightened, too. He was, he was pretty, pretty frightened, too. And eventually we, you know, we got him out of there and everything. But, but that was, it was funny. Mostly my reaction, I think, is what people were laughing at. But, but the the poor poor raccoon was was actually injured and, and crawled oh, in no. there. So, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> to to get out of the weather and all that. Right. So, but uh, yeah, that was that was probably the the strangest thing. Mm -hmm. that's ever happened to me and in, in, at work mm -hmm. it's got to be so as you look back you know on your career you know what has surprised you about uh, the arc of your career I think the thing that I didn't expect is to have been involved in so many different aspects of ceramics I think that's that's what I did not plan on. I think that, you know, having had parents that worked at the same place for, you know, 25, 30 years, mm -hmm. you know, I sort of thought, well, that's what I'll do. Um, in fact, I worked at the same company my dad did for a little while when I was right out of school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was, that was my expectation of my career, but obviously it didn't work out that way. And, that, and I, now I look back at that and I think that's a good thing because I feel like I've experienced most of what ceramics has to offer. Most of what I saw in school, I've I've actually seen in real life and, and worked on. So, so that that's been my my experience, and I've like I've enjoyed that. As Matt has showed us, a job in ceramics does not have to be a global experience. For people looking to support their local communities, ceramics offers that opportunity as well. I'm Eileen DeGeer, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. Visit our website at ceramics.org for this episode's show notes to learn more about Matt's work at Washington Mills. Ceramic Tech Chat is produced by Lisa McDonald and copyrighted by the American Ceramic Society. Until next time, I'm Eileen DeGeer, and thank you for joining us.